Welcome to Waterstone Church. Here at Waterstone, we invite you to find your story within God's bigger story. We are a church that lives for something bigger than ourselves and is passionate to proclaim and demonstrate the way of Jesus. We are excited for the path ahead of us and what God has called us to in 2021. Our mission is to be a people empowered by the presence of Jesus Christ to proclaim His kingdom and demonstrate His love, justice, and mercy to our neighbor. As we begin the new year, we'll explore what this mission statement means to us and what part we can play in God's story. If you'd like to visit and attend in person, we'd love to have you. Go to waterstonechurch.org to RSVP for a weekend service time on Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Heavenly Father, God, for many of us, last year uh, was a year unlike any other. Uh, there were moments of grief and hardship and suffering and loss. And yet, God, through it all, you are a God who is living and active in our world. You are a God who bends broken things for your will and your good purposes. And so there is still much to be grateful for. And so we simply say, thank you. God, thank you for these minutes and moments that we have together to worship you and to open scripture together. And pray that, that all of us would come not to hear anything from me today, but from your Holy Spirit. That your words and your heart would guide me. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So if you have ever heard Larry give a sermon at Waterstone, you have probably heard him say the phrase, everyone believes a story. It's one of his catchphrases that, that we have all heard before because everyone believes a story because stories help us make sense of the world around us. Stories help answer the questions to why the world is the way that it is. I mean, it's why every culture since the beginning of humanity has told origin stories, trying to explain the whys of the way the universe is. Stories help make sense of the complexities of our lives. I don't know if you've ever heard two people arguing over a complex issue in our world, but have you ever noticed that when they're arguing, they often don't use facts and figures to make their point, they use stories? Because stories are compelling. Stories have the power to draw us in. Stories have the power to transform. Or how many of you have ever met someone who upon first impression, you just didn't like that person? I mean, I've never had that experience because I'm a pastor and I'm not allowed to, but I'm assuming some of you have met people before and the personalities just clash. And then you hear their story and you hear the things that they've been through and you hear what's happened to them and, and the way that they operate in the world begins to make sense in a new way. Say, oh, oh. Now that I know their story, that makes sense. I understand why they are the way that they are. I understand why they say the things that they say. And suddenly you're filled with compassion for that person rather than anger or resentment or bitterness. See, stories change perspective. Stories have the power to change our lives and to change the world. Everyone believes a story. And so when Larry asked me to kick off this series, Find Your Story, he asked me to tell the story of Jesus, 
which is great because there's a lot of material to choose from. But it's difficult because no matter what I say today, it will be far too inadequate to describe the person of Jesus Christ and his story. Because you see, Jesus, at Waterstone, we believe that Jesus is the most important person universally to ever have existed. At Waterstone, we believe that Jesus is not just an idea, but that he was a person who was real, who lived, who was flesh and bone, like you and like me. And we believe that when people looked at him, and when he looked them in the eye, they were seeing the face of God. You see, at Waterstone, we believe that Jesus is more than just a person, that Jesus is the story that makes sense of the world. Jesus is the answer to everything that we're searching for. And it's in Jesus' story that we find the answers we're looking for, not some internet search engine. Jesus, universally, is the most important person in human history. And it's when we find our story and his story that we find purpose and meaning and the longing that we're looking for. And so today, I just want to share a brief story with you um, that I chose simply because it has a lot of personal meaning to me. And I hope that this story has meaning for you too upon hearing it today. You see, there's a story from the life of Jesus where he encounters a, a family that's very close and very dear to him. Mary and Martha and Lazarus are this family that knows Jesus and follow Jesus and he loves them dearly. And one day, Mary and Martha send word to Jesus because their brother Lazarus is dying. And they've seen Jesus perform miracles. They've seen the power that he has. And so they, they invite him. They ask him. They plead with him to come and save the life of their brother. But Jesus doesn't. Jesus waits. He doesn't show up. And no one understands why. Even Jesus' closest disciples, his, his closest followers and friends are like, Jesus, what are you doing? Lazarus needs you. He is dying. Why aren't you going to him? And Jesus tells them that it's actually already too late. We've waited too long and Lazarus has died. And then Jesus decides to go. I don't know about you, but sometimes in my own story, God's timing makes very little sense. And so he chooses to go after Lazarus is dead. And when he approaches the town that Mary and Martha are in, they go to him. And they're filled with the same questions you or I are filled with every time life falls apart. Every time the job we were hoping for falls through. Every time a friend or a roommate hurts us. Every time our parents disengage from their relationship with us. Every time someone we love is lost. Why? Where were you? And so Martha, she runs to Jesus and meets him and says, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And then her sister Mary has the exact same thought and question. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You see, they have the same question that we all have when life goes the way we don't want it to. Where were you? Why weren't you here? We called for you. Why didn't you show up when we needed you? Why didn't you show up when Lazarus needed you? 
See, when God doesn't show up in the ways that we want and we expect, we are filled with questions of doubt. We are filled with questions of fear and wrestling and wondering and and asking God, why aren't you here? But what I love about Jesus is that he creates space for the doubt. When they come to him with this emotion, with with this heartbreak, when they accuse him of not showing up the way that they need, he creates space for their questions and for their doubt. He allows them the space to push against him and say, why didn't you show up the way that we wanted? You see, I think this story is so important to the heart of Jesus because it, it demonstrates that Jesus creates space for our doubt and our questions and our wrestling when our stories don't end up the way that we want them to. So he creates space for their doubt, and he creates space for our doubt, too. And I don't understand why, but, but somewhere along the line, the people of God, we, we forgot to emulate this in Jesus. Some of you have had a similar experience to me growing up in the church and having questions and doubts and, and wondering why God is operating in the world the way that he's operating or why he doesn't do certain things. And, and you were met with these pat answers. Well, you just need a little more faith. You just need to believe a little more. You just need to pray a little harder. You just need to stop asking those questions. And because the church was too afraid to allow you to question and doubt, you walked away and you searched for truth in other places. But not Jesus. He's not afraid of the questions. He's not afraid of the doubt. His story is big enough for all of our whys. His story is big enough for all of our doubt. And he creates space for us to engage in relationship with him, asking the hard questions of life. And at Waterstone, we want to be a church. We want to be a community that welcomes those questions, that creates space for those questions. Because what you see in Jesus, it's fascinating. When he interacts with people over and over and over again, he allows and creates space for their questions. You see, questions and doubt are not the antithesis of faith. They're necessary for it. When you ever get to a point in your relationship with God where there is no more mystery, no more reason to question or doubt, you will find that there is no more growth either. You see, God's story is big enough for all of our questions. He invites us to question and doubt and wrestle and lean into our faith. He doesn't expect us to just sweep those things under the rug. He creates space for them. His story is big enough. But not only is his story big enough for all of our questions and doubt, I love the story of Jesus because it's also small enough that it can enter into our stories. You see, after Mary and Martha, they ask these questions of Jesus, he enters into their story. He enters into their grief with them. This is what it says. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? 
they have the same questions. You see, what we see in Jesus is this ability to enter into our stories. Jesus is not absent from the doubt or from the grief. Jesus enters the story of Mary and Martha. And many scholars have wondered why Jesus chooses to weep with Mary and Martha. Why would Jesus choose to weep? If you've heard the story before, you know Jesus is about to show up in an amazing, incredible miracle. Why would he choose to weep when he knows the end of the story, when he knows how things are going to conclude? See, this story is so important to understanding the heart of Jesus because even though he knows the end of the story, he still chooses to enter in to the moments of grief and heartache with us. Jesus chooses to weep with us too. Jesus chooses to enter our stories. Even though he knows one day he is going to set everything right and all sad things will come undone and all brokenness will be mended and all death will be made alive, when he knows that he will redeem all things, he still chooses to enter our moments of grief and sadness and weep with us. See, Jesus' story is small enough to enter the brokenness of our lives and sit with us in those spaces. It's remarkable that the God of the universe who knows how things will end has the empathy and compassion and love to sit with us as we weep and to weep with us. See, far too many of us, we spend our lives assuming God's absence in our lives. We spend our lives assuming that God is not there. We spend our lives assuming that when the world falls apart, God has abandoned us. And yet what we see again and again and again in Scripture is this Jesus who chooses to enter our stories, this Jesus whose story is small enough to enter our lives and to weep with us. He shares our broken hearts and he shares our moments of grief. What would it look like if this year, instead of assuming Jesus' absence, we assumed his presence in our lives? If instead of assuming that he was distant or not with us, we assumed that he was near, how might our lives change? How might our perspective change? Jesus chooses to enter the story of our lives. But and this is a really important but, because sometimes we can, we can hear this, that Jesus weeps with us and that he enters our stories and we begin to think, oh, okay, I have a God who is with me. I have a God who, who, who takes care of my hurts, which is true. But Jesus doesn't enter our story simply to weep with us. You see, that's not actually what we're looking for. As beautiful and as remarkable as that is, as much as we need someone to weep with us, we need something more than that. We need a story that can fix the brokenness of the world. We need a story that can fix and mend our broken hearts. We need a story that can not just enter into us with the moments of death, but that can redeem them and fix them and make them come alive. And you see, Jesus has that power. That is his story. You see, the story goes that after he weeps with them, he goes to the tomb of Lazarus and he sees his friend's tomb and sees death and he says, Lazarus, come out. 
live again. And Lazarus, wrapped in grave clothes, walks out of his tomb and is alive. Now, my fear is that if you have heard this story before, if you have heard that Jesus raises people from the dead, then this story loses its marvel and we think, okay, cool, Lazarus is alive again. A person who was dead for four days came out of their grave and was alive again because Jesus told them to. Have you ever been to a funeral where people expected the person who was deceased to get up and move and speak and become alive? Have you ever walked through a cemetery and expected to see a person walk out of their grave? No, because dead people are dead. But the story of Jesus is a story that makes dead things come alive. You see, we don't need a story that can just have someone weep with us. We need a story like Jesus that has the power to make dead things undead. We live in a time, I mean, you see it this time of year, don't you? How many people are looking for renewal? The new year, a fresh start, a cleanse, restoration, These are all hashtags and lines that we see. People promising, hey, if you do this new habit, this new routine, this fad, you will have the life and happiness that you're looking for and that you are longing for. But the truth is the life we are searching for is not found in a diet or a fad or a new routine or a new habit. It is found in Jesus Christ alone. He did not come so that we could have a better life. He came so that we could be made new. Jesus did not come saying, come to me, all of you who are looking for self-improvement, and I will give you the steps. He did not come saying that that if I am the, the truth and the life, and if you come to me, you will have health and wealth and the good life that you're looking for. Jesus came and he said, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the one with the power over death. The only place that you will find the life that you are searching for, the renewal, the restoration, the hope, is in me. Come to me if you are weary and tired of the searching. Come to me if all of your stories have failed you. Mine won't. I will provide you rest. Larry is also fairly fond of saying that the statistics on death, you know the end, are pretty good. The statistics on death are pretty good. The same way we all believe a story, we are all dying. That is true. But what is disturbing is that researchers are beginning to to find and to realize that the ways we are dying are drastically changing. I don't know if you know this, but since 2016, for the first time in over 30 years, the life expectancy in America has been in decline for four consecutive years in a row. And we don't know all of the statistics yet about 2020, but you can assume in the midst of a global pandemic that that trend will continue. What's even more disturbing than the fact that we are living longer than we used to is the reason why that is happening. 
See, researchers are finding that the, the three leading contributors to that statistic are suicide and accidental death injuries related to drug overdose and alcoholism. You see, what they're finding is that, that people are dying deaths of despair. That even though we live in the wealthiest, most informed, most connected society, we are more isolated and lonely and less fulfilled than we've ever been before. To put it another way, our stories are not working. The stories that we believe will provide us with the life that we are looking for are failing us. We need a better story. We need a bigger story. The story of Jesus is the story that brings dead things back to life. I don't know if you've, you've ever noticed this before, but in the Gospel of John, it, it's fascinating. The first question, the first words spoken by Jesus are, what are you searching for? And the first statement by Jesus after the resurrection is, who are you searching for? I find it so compassionate and remarkable that the answer to the question is willing to ask it. Jesus is what we're searching for. He is what we are longing for. And it is in him that we find the fulfillment and the restoration and the redemption and the resurrection of life that we are longing for. See, Jesus did not come to just make your life better. He came to resurrect your dead life. Jesus did not just come so that you can have a better life. He came so that you can have a new life in him. And that when we join our story to his story, we find the everlasting life that we are longing for. And we miss this so often. The everlasting life that Jesus promises us is not just to go to heaven when we die. It's to experience eternal life now that continues when we die. Some days that's a harder story to believe than others. And I'll be the first to admit that. Dead people raised to new life. As a millennial pastor... Most weekends that I preach, I'm aware that I am one of, if not the youngest person in the room. Because most millennials my age have left the church. And the statistics are, are, are pretty clear that, that most people in the ages of 40 to 25 have left the church and they haven't come back. And, and I find myself asked fairly often by people both within the church and people who have left the church, why stay? Why stay? Because they've experienced the church. They know its brokenness. They know how messed up church can be and how we all know how the people of God can be. And so why did I stay? And my answer is always pretty simple and it's usually the same. The story of Jesus is still the only story that I am willing 
to risk being wrong about. I haven't found a story of resurrection anywhere else. I haven't found the promises that Jesus offered. I haven't found the alternatives in the world to be as compelling or as beautiful or as promising. Jesus is the only one who promises resurrection and new life that we are all looking for. He says this to Mary and Martha in the midst of their their trouble and their doubt and their questioning. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you? I find it fascinating that in the Gospels, they rarely try to explain empirically how the resurrection works. They don't spend a lot of time trying to offer proof that Jesus rose from the dead. They simply say he was dead and then he wasn't. I saw him die and then I saw him alive. They have eyewitness testimony and that's about it. And I always find it humorous when the church spends so much time trying to prove empirically that Jesus rose from the dead and list out all the reasons why we know it to be true and list out all the reasons why we think it actually happened. When the early church simply said, we saw him dead and he was alive. You see, the the problem with people not believing in the resurrection is not empirical evidence, it's embodied evidence. The people of God are called to be the people who embody the resurrection. We don't need empirical proof, we are the proof. When people encounter people who are living resurrected lives, When people see dead people raised to life in Jesus' name and through his power and his story, they want to be a part of that story too because it is the only story that offers that promise. And do you believe this? Do you believe that he is the resurrection and the life? What story are you believing is better and more compelling than Jesus? As we go into a time of communion, I would love to encourage you to just ask that question. Do you believe this? Take a moment and pray. Is the resurrection the story that is the engine for your life? Is it the most compelling story that you are giving your life to? And if not, why? Go ahead and pray and we'll take communion in just a moment.